Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 139. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Happy Independence Day. Glad to have you back once again. And man, happy birthday, America. And you know what? Happy birthday to me. It is not my birthday, but this is an episode that is something of a dream come true for me. Just because I am such a big fan of this week's guest. And who do I have? None other than Drew McGarry from Deadspin, GQ, and the author of three exceptional novels. One, The Hike, uh, his most recent book, and The Ostensible Reason He Talked to Me Today. Two, Someone Could Get Hurt, a parenting memoir that is both hilarious and poignant and at parts achingly sad and harrowing. And then his first novel, The Postmortal, which is fantastic and I understand uh, was optioned for a movie. I think it's still in some place in the development process. But he agreed to talk to me because he is coming to Denver. Occasionally, he'll do book tours. He's never come to Denver before. But he's going to be here on July 11th at the Tattered Cover on Colfax. That's 2526 East Colfax in Denver, 80206. 7 p.m. July 11th. Go to the companion blog piece. I will have all the info, all the places you can find Drew. That is johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us. And uh, we'll, we'll point you in the direction of everywhere that you can find Drew McGarry because it's a lot of places. And as someone who is a fan of his content, the fact that he is so prolific really just makes my week. I know there's going to be stuff for me to enjoy all the time. And then when you couple that with the fact that he's done the hike and the postmortal and someone could get hurt, man, he's just, he's one of my favorite personalities and it was a real thrill to get to talk to him. What was most amazing to me about putting this episode together is how quickly it happened. I sent an email to him, just kind of a cold call pitch, which is where my experience working for a PR agency really paid off. I mean, I have cold called members of the media and congressional offices and all manner of people more times than I can count, right? So that is second nature to me. I put together pitch emails to this day. That's something that I do for my clients. And so I sent Drew an email. I said, hey, I've got this podcast. Would love to have you on. He flipped it to the publicity department of Penguin Books. They got back to me right away. And the woman I worked with there, she said, yeah, Drew's open tomorrow. Uh, do you have time to, to do it then? And I'm like, uh... You know what? I will make time. So this interview is by phone. And if you've listened to this show before where I've done phone interviews, the audio quality, shit. This time, went to one of my clients who has a professional studio and we recorded it that way. It sounds a lot better. One thing you'll note, though, in the early going, Drew's cell phone reception is not great. We get that corrected after five or six minutes. So just bear with it. That doesn't last very long. But a quick note about quality. Secondly, Drew is one of the nicest guys I've ever had the pleasure of talking to on this show. Now, I haven't had many dicks on this show, admittedly. You know, this type of format doesn't lend itself well to that. And generally, these are people that I have sort of vetted in some form or fashion. But very few people have been dicks on this show. Drew is terrific. Just a really nice guy, just totally forthcoming. 
just very generous with his time. I mean, he has three kids. He's writing for Deadspin, writing for GQ. He's working on another project. The hike might become a TV show, so he's somewhere in that process. Just a ton going on. And he was very gracious with me, answered everything I kind of threw at him. And what I tried to do is, if you've listened to Drew be interviewed before, he's done a bunch of Reddit AMAs, and you know, you'll know you see him interviewed about his books. He's been on the AV Club. He did a hate song, which unfortunately I didn't get to ask him about because I love that hate song feature. But I tried to cover some stuff that he has not covered at length in other places. Now, we touch on some of the things that you probably come to know and expect from Drew. The Wire Team Sucks series. Uh, you know, writing the fun bag. How many questions can he really answer about jacking off or shitting at work? Uh, the answer is a lot of them, but, you know, maybe he's kind of over that. You'll find out more in the episode. But in my service to you, I tried to make this a different interview than Drew has done before. And hopefully I succeeded. I'm very pleased with the way it turned out. I think you'll enjoy it very much. And before we get to it, just a quick word about our sponsor, Four Degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. They handle all my web hosting, all my website building, and all my tech support. But they do so much more than that. If that's what you're looking for, they will do a great job for you. But if you are trying to get the word out about your product, service, candidate, whatever, and you're looking to use social media or advertising, or in this case, social media advertising, contact Four Degrees. They will get your message in front of the people who need to see it most at a cost that is very reasonable, very affordable, and I guarantee you they will blow your doors off. So hit them up on the web, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. This is episode 139 of the John of All Trades podcast. Apple Podcasts has only the most recent 100, so you can go to Apple Podcasts, search John of All Trades, give us a rating, give us a review, and you can hit subscribe where you'll get brand new episodes delivered directly to you without having to do any work. We're also on Stitcher. So again, search John of All Trades, give us a rating, give us a review. Stitcher is great, radio on demand, and John of All Trades is proud to be a part of that. But the best way to stay up with John of All Trades is at the website, jonofalltrades.us. We've got more than 140 episodes, 139 numbered ones. We've got a few solo episodes covering everything from the world of pop culture to finance to entrepreneurship to tattoo shop owners, gun store owners, comedians, actors. Jim O'Hare from Parks and Rec was a guest on this show. He was just absolutely tremendous. Adam Caton Holland from Those Who Can't. He's been on this show. Dig into the archives. You will find something you like. J-O-N of alltrades.us. Now, it's time to get to this week's episode, number 139, with Drew McGarry, columnist from Deadspin and GQ, author of The Postmortal, Someone Could Get Hurt, and The Hike, and his episode starts right now. Two things I need to thank you for, uh, for getting me into them. One is Metamucil. Yeah, it's great, right? Uh, I started taking it when I was 29, and I wish I had done it a week, or not a week, I, 10 years earlier. Yeah, it's magic. It's like, it's like a potion. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying, though, when you uh, don't take it for a few days and then get back on the horse, and you're like, oh, my God, what's happening to my body? It's like a Cronenberg movie. Yeah, and it's awful when you forget to take it, too, and it's like your poops smell like... <laughs> Salad dressing and stuff like that. Yeah, like like hot death. It's horrifying. Yeah, um, it's not a good moment. The uh, the other thing that you got me into is uh, Mastodon. So thank you for that. That is epic music. Yeah, the new album's really tight too. It's really good. I haven't heard it yet, but uh, I'm kind of in the thick fog of parenting. When does that lift? By the way, how old are your kids? 
uh, two and a half and 11 months. No, you're boned for like five years. <laughs> okay. It's really like, like, like today was the last day of, um, of elementary school for my kids. And next year, um, my oldest goes to middle school and then, uh, the two youngest are, are the, or the middle one goes into third grade and then the youngest goes into kindergarten. So that means he's out all day. So that's really, that's really it for me. Like, like obviously they're still a complete pain in the ass when they're around, but, they, <laughs> but they're, they're all relatively self-reliant. So that's, and it feels like, you know, I don't, I don't ever feel like now that there is, you know, no, no time for daddy, you know, like, right, right. I, like, they they go piss off and they do their little thing and then uh you know I can do my thing too so it's not it's not that bad yeah so but it take it takes a it takes a long long time my two and a half year old is finally like dressing herself and that's a big victory yeah that's huge because they even get dressed is a complete pain in the ass yeah and you and I share this in common because I earlier this morning. I went to the spine center and they said I have the biggest disc herniation they've ever seen. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Have to cut you open? No, it's looking like I'm going to avoid surgery because he said almost like counterintuitively, the bigger the herniation, the more the disc is likely to get back into place itself. And I go, <laughs> whatever you say, doc. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It uh I actually like got a little flare up last week because like I had had my ass surgery in like 2010, and I got a little cocky. And so <laughs> this weekend, I like I like moved like an air conditioner. It's oh. just the stupidest fucking thing. Like the <laughs> the most like cumbersome, heaviest possible piece of equipment, and I'm sitting there trying to. And there's I'm just an idiot. So I deserve I deserve all the bad things that come. With. Well, it, I mean, there's not a lot you can you can do about it. You know, it's like does this air conditioner have to get moved? Am I the father? Yes. Then okay. Then here we go. Yeah, it was just it was just one of those things because if I can't do it, literally no one else in the house has can. So then I have to go find like a, a local teen and you know pay him fifteen dollars to do strong boy tasks for me. And let's call a spade a shovel here. We're not going to do that. No, I mean I actually did do it for like the lawn. Like I can't do the the fucking lawn, but that's about it. Yeah. Well, one last thing, right? So, yes. uh Drew McGarry, columnist from Deadspin. Uh, GQ, you're a novelist. You have someone could get hurt. Uh, the post mortal, men with balls, and the hike, which uh, is ostensibly what we're here to talk about. That's certainly, I think, why the publicity department of Viking and Penguin Books uh, was nice enough to field my request. It, it looked like you you flipped it to them, and uh, I appreciate that very very I much. I did. I I, pa I passed you on. I'm sorry I did not respond. I passed you. I, I passed you right onto a, a publicist. That was very. That's very cold. <laughs> very 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 big mucky mucky yeah it's a very bougie move but uh you know it what is. you could have just flushed it and so the fact that you didn't no, means no. a lot to me no no we would not flush you no flush <laughs> no flush. no flushing but uh i've been a big fan of yours for a long time you've been uh good enough to retweet a couple of you know goofy shits that uh that i've uh flipped your way because uh, your, your Twitter account is, is one of the most enjoyable Twitter accounts I have in my entire feed. So, uh, Ooh, I like that. Thank you. I'll bet you do. Um, for instance, as we record this, there was a whole thread about weird stuff that your, that, that people's pets have eaten. Yeah, man. People's pets have eaten some wild shit. Yeah. Like I was like, I was, I was like, I was embarrassed for my dog that he'd only eaten just a bunch of raw flour off the floor. Like he's got more. <laughs> ambitious things he needs to eat and then 
digest it in horrible fashion. Yeah, 100%. Um, and so it's funny, Drew, because uh, I came across you the first time when I was working for a PR agency, and it was during the economic downturn of 08 and 09. And so anytime you sort of mentioned your history in advertising, I go, yes, okay, this guy gets it. This guy gets <laughs> how, how fucking stupid clients are. Uh, yeah. And they think they know what they want. They never do. And they always pick the worst option. Uh, yep. Pretty much guaranteed. And, and they always want, the, they always want man to say like 20 different things. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like well, can, can you. Know it's cheap, but it's also good. And, but then also we care about the. <laughs> and, and, you, and you go, these things are in opposition to each other. But uh, we'll do our yeah. best because, you know, we're gluttons for punishment. What can we say? Well, I did it because it was just like, I mean, I remember I wanted to be creative, like coming out of college. That was fucking neat. And it was like, it's not, it's not the worst way to start out. I think, you know, it's a way it's, you know, you know, you obviously are, are hugely high bound in terms of creativity, but you're, it's still, you know, I'm still glad I started out there and I wasn't like a paralegal or something. Like yeah. That. No kidding. Like that, that seems like uh, an even slipperier sort of trap, but I'm curious because I went out on my own two years ago and I've been making it work. Like I have a consulting business, so I still do that side of it, but right. I, I have a lot more freedom to the creative side. When you were working, when you were doing <laughs> stuff on like uh, fire, Joe Morgan or not fire, Joe Morgan, I'm sorry, kissing Susie Colbert. Um, was that like a side hustle for you? And you know, you started the father knows shit blog. Um, oh yeah. I mean, were yeah. you just kind of doing that in the margins? Yeah. I mean, when I started, um, cause it was 2006, the first site, Father No Shit, yeah, that was just pissing off, you know. <laughs> I was just, and it was, and I remember, and I remember, I said to my wife, I was like, because it was really the dawn of sort of uh, self-publishing and stuff, and I was like, hey, there's, you know, this could, this could work out well, you know, like this, there might be something here, yeah, you know, and I, I don't want to say that I was like some sort of visionary or anything like that. I just, I just remember being like, hey, this could actually. Like, anyone can read it, so that, that's good. I can get things read, so then maybe nice things will happen because I know that, like, the, I know that some of the stuff that I read it, thought was thought I should first, and then KSK, and then um, that it's been hey that. Drew, you're you're cutting out quite a bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Hang on a second. Is this better? That sounds better, I think. But uh, so you were saying, like, so KSK <laughs> came next, and then. Um, I remember Deadspin, Deadspin. Yeah, Deadspin had like, uh, if if commenters were were well received and they got upvotes, like they were promoted. How did that work? It was awesome at the time because anyone who commented, um, your your name went to your blog. Oh, like nice! My, if you clicked on my name, it took you right to findoshit.blogspot.com, and that's that was really useful. Like. I think now it just goes to your, your personal Kinja because that's way, way back when Denton invented Kinja. He wanted people to have their own. He wanted people to blog all, you know, sure for all, on that platform for free, you know. So, <laughs> uh, but back then you could link it to anything, and it was a real. It was sort of a nice sort of. I mean, I liked commenting at Deadspin anyway, but it was also a nice, you know, it was a nice whoring thing. I mean, I, it's dirty to say you're promoting your brand or whatever in quotes, but. um you know, it was just a it was just a nice way of, of getting sort of visible and in front of people. You know, now there's Twitter, it's not as uh yeah, Twitter it, Twitter's the comment section now. It really is. And you know, you think about someone like Megan Amram, who just started out having a hilarious Twitter feed 
And then, you know, then she's writing for Parks and Rec and for The Good Place and stuff. And you're like, wow, this shit can happen. It's remarkable. Was she, dis- was she discovered on Twitter? I think was so. was she a known entity before that? I don't think she was a known entity before that. Oh, wow. I mean, I could. Because the ones, because the episodes of Parks and Rec she wrote were really, really, really funny. She's great. And uh, I heard her interviewed by Mike Sachs, who uh, does like a compendium of humor. He did like. Uh, and oh, here's, Frozen TV, right? Yeah. And here's the kicker. That guy is awesome, and he talked to Megan Amram, and I, I'm pretty sure she was just tweeting a lot and getting funnier and funnier and funnier and getting a lot of retweets, got exposure that way. First time, wow. I heard, yeah, I heard her mentioned was uh, when Patton Oswalt mentioned her. And, wow, uh, that's that's cool. Yeah, it's badass. Um, and so I mean, it's cool that it can happen for people now. You know, totally. I mean, even the the early episodes of this podcast. You know, I, I'd look back at my listeners and I'd be like, cool, like 24 people listen to that episode. What am I doing? Right, right. But if you're doing quality content, like it will rise. And so. Um, Good content could be found anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you got to hustle it. In terms of Deadspin, I love the fun bag. Do you ever burn out writing that? I think the only problem these days is I've been doing it now for like 10 years. So, you know, a lot of the questions are the same and I'll catch myself, you know, I'll answer something that I have forgotten that I had answered. And, uh, or that, or there are times when I, you know, I'll write something and I'll be like, you know, this looks familiar. And I swear to fucking God, like I'll plug it in and I'll have written it nearly word for word, like five years earlier. Yeah. So, you know, I just be careful about that. Like just sort of basic sort of self plagiarism and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just, it's just, just keeping an eye out on overlap and, you know, you know, how many different questions about jacking off can I answer? How many, <laughs> you know, office pooping. Like I sort of, I sort of glaze over the, any office poop questions now because I've answered. And there's no permutation of office shitting that I haven't really answered. I, I imagine there's very few permutations of shitting at all that you have not and, answered. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I think there are times when I, when it's like, uh, you know, you know, I, I probably can't be doing this like when I'm 60, you know, right. like, like as much as we goof on, you know, you know, old sports writer guys who sort of fall in the same jokes and all that stuff. You know, I, you know, I have to be cognizant that I don't become one of them. I mean, it's part of the reason, part of the reason to branch out into, into books and, you know, and, and to try to do other projects and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's still fun to do. So, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten tired of it yet. It's still fun. How still long a good way to start the week? Yeah. How long does a fun bag take to put together? Yeah, most of Monday, and then it's and it's a nice it's a nice way it's a nice sort of warm up for the week. Oh sure, like it, it's just a nice because the nice thing is that, and I don't have a lot of writing angst, like I don't have a lot of blank page fears, but you know it's nice when you start off the week with, you know, and it's lazy, but you're you're getting ideas from other people. So, yeah, you're getting prompts. Yeah, you're. I'm getting prompts, so I never have to. I never have to worry about just pulling something out of my ass. Yeah, and that that is helpful. There's always something to bounce. There's always someone to bounce off off of. The page is never blank because it's filled with questions, and uh, and that's just a really easy way of of getting into it. And uh, so I'm not just sitting there like you know tr- trying to just conjure something out, out of out of thin air, which yeah. you shouldn't really try to do anyway. That should always be, you know, there should always be material for you before you begin writing anything. You know, notes, research, some sort of life experience. You know, anything like that. If you're just trying to sit there sort of will, willing something into being, it's not not the greatest. Thing. No, definitely not. And it's funny, your comment about the old sports writers. Uh, I live in Denver, so we have a handful of them. I'm thinking of Woody Page. 
Yeah, you have we we were thinking about I don't think we ever did it, but we were talking about what were the worst sports writing cities. <laughs> and it would have and would would have had to be per capita, you know, because obviously New York is so huge and LA is so right. But Denver was like a very, very high up there because you have you have you had Woody and you had like you Kisla. Know, Kisla, who's fucking awful. Kisla is and, the worst. Yeah, it's 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 an underrated take city. Well, and really, if really if you think about who's come through here too, there's been T.J. Simers, Bob Kravitz, Bernie Lincecum, and yeah. and you go, oh god, really? Like Dave Krieger used to write on the sports page here, and I thought Krieger was actually pretty good. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's quite it's quite a uh, it's quite a gallery of rogues. <laughs> it's funny you. Talking about the fun bag, you know, and you're, is it fair to say you're in the take industry? Yeah, no, I think that's fair to say. And I, you know, that's the other thing where I think, you know, and I think this happened, you know, sort of with the election where you just sort of, it's it's particularly true in politics where you just sort of get hobby horses and you just sort of get hung up and you sort of do the same take over and over again. Yeah. And that, that I worry about too, you know, because there's only so many ways that I can write that, that I fucking hate the president. Right. And I mean, you've, you've tilled a lot of earth. Uh, on that yep. front, particularly, I mean, for GQ and for Deadspin. But what's interesting to me is for a brief time, uh, you remember when examiner.com was a thing and like anyone could write about whatever I got on like the, uh, the, oh, right. The, like the, the newspaper. No, like, uh, it was like this online, it was like an online newspaper thing. They had like, there was Denver and there was, you know, Chicago and like the cities all had their individual thing. I think it was all online. Oh, sort of like patch, right? Kind of, yeah. And then there was uh, a national one, and I wrote for the national one. I was I was reviewing HBO at the time. Okay. And I realized I was sitting there on Sunday nights, and I still had the day job. And this, I think, I made a grand total of like two hundred bucks writing for Examiner. But I'm sitting there Sunday nights, and I'm going, you know, I really just kind of want to watch these shows. Like, I don't want to have a take on them. Like, I wanna I want to let it wash over me. So when you're doing the Jamboree or something. And, you know, you're going, Christ, like, I, I wish I could just almost passively enjoy this, let it pass through me. It is that a challenge for you? Like, do you get burned out on having takes? I think actually Twitter's worse about that, uh, particularly with live sports, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, something happens and you want to go tweet like, holy shit or whatever. Right. And and, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm I'm voluntarily taking myself out of, you know, the experience of watching and experiencing this game. Yeah, that's kind of stupid, right? I should just enjoy it for itself, right? Right, and not treat it like a radio or something. Yeah, and I never do, you know, or like, or wait for the commercial, and I don't wait for the commercial, you know, like I just, or I just pause it and all that stuff. And that, you know, I've almost sort of just accepted that that's how I consume live sports now, and there's nothing, there's nothing really I'm going to do to change it, unless I'm watching something on delay. Like a lot of, a lot of NFL stuff, like I'll watch the Vikings on delay or something like that. And then I like I leave the phone upstairs and go and go watch downstairs and I'm sort of unencumbered. It's not that big of a deal uh, in terms of actual writing because I'm not I'm not a beat writer, so I'm I don't have to right. you know I don't have to have copy ready ten minutes you know after the final whistle. So that's not that big of a deal because I, I can just take notes during the game and that's fine and it's actually it's actually really pleasant. I really don't mind that. It's really just sort of live commentary where 
and we used to do live blogs over at like kissing Susie Colbert and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they would be just a deluge and, you know, all of us burn, would burn out, you know, within like an hour and be like, wait, what, what are we doing? With it? You know, <laughs> why are we doing so this? Let's watch the go. Yeah. Go watch the fucking game. And you can see when I started at Deadspin, you know, the whole ethos of Deadspin was that, you know, so many of these sports writers hate sports. <laughs> they hate the sports that they cover, right? Particularly beat writers, you know, and, uh, well, sure. And you, and, but then, you know, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I, and I understand why now I don't want to lose that love of sports, but I understand, you know, I understand the, the sort of psychology there where you're like, Oh God, please don't let this fucking game go to overtime. Right? <laughs> like, I just want to go to fucking bed. Yeah. Which is so counterintuitive to almost like why you do sports. But, um, yeah, I mean, you ask, you ask people in any industry, it's, it's amazing. And that's part of what this podcast is about. No matter how glamorous a job, no matter how attractive a job, there is someone who is bored shitless by it and just so burned out and goes, I fucking, I, I can't do this again. Like I went through a stretch of my corporate job because I went from the agency to corporate where I had to go to the governor's mansion like three times in one week. Right. And, and like abstractly, that sounds really cool. And when I step back, I go, that is really cool. Like what, what a neat thing that I get to do for my job. But at that point, because I had all this other shit going on, I go, you know what? I can't like, I just want to go home and like, I just want to eat a peanut butter sandwich and go to bed. So I get yeah, it. And you know, the other thing is that, you know, cause I used to, I was, I was an advertiser. I used to work on the Hershey accounts. So we go to Hershey every week and it's like, Oh, you just go to chocolate factory every week. And it's like, yeah, no, it sucks. You're like, I, and, I'm uh, over it. But it's almost like, that's the way you need to approach it. You need to approach work like work. Because what happens otherwise is, because I've had fun assignments, like you sends me on really fucking cool assignments. Yeah. You know, there's always a bit of angst because I know, you know, I'm not just hanging out with Chris Pratt. Like I'm, I have a job to do, so I have to, I can't enjoy myself too much to the, to the point where I'm actively, you know, neglecting my work. So, you know, what, because what happens when people, people are like, it's nice when people have fun at their work, but when they, you know, when they treat it like, like work is not. Like the work, there's no work involved. In work like you don't have a job like, to do. Then there's, then there's an, then it's an Adam Sandler movie, you know, like <laughs> then, then it's, then it's like a con job. Then, then you're really not, you're then not putting in any work. So there has to be some element of, of no fun to it or for you to do the job properly. Yeah, no, 100%. And, uh, that profile of Pratt, Pratt seems like the the guy you hope that he is, which is amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, he was he was awesome. Was I, you know, I was like, oh, I can tell you, Chris Pratt is my friend. <laughs> and then we didn't uh, we didn't hang out after that, but I, but I'd like to think that we could have. Oh, totally. I, I I have a bit of that on this show from time to time. It's not it's not as frequent because uh, my guests typically aren't as glamorous. But uh, I remember reading Chuck Klosterman, and he said uh, he likes to ask a difficult question, like the the question he's least comfortable asking, and he likes to ask it early. So that you almost establish, like, look, we can be friendly, but I do have a job to do, and there's stuff that people want to know. Um, and particularly where, where he's interviewing musicians and stuff like that, and you're interviewing, you know, Chris Pratt, and, uh, you know, people love Bieber or, you know, Guy Fieri or whatever. Um, but it's like, nope, I, I, I got to capture this the way I'm going to capture it, and I, I can't let my perceived sort of, like, I hope they like me get in the way of that. Nah, that's ballsy, because I usually have to 
try to get them to like me first before I ask the hard thing. Well, that's <laughs> that's Klosterman, though, right? I mean, he's <laughs> he's sort of uh, immediately almost antagonistic and standoffish, but that's part of his charm. Well, and I, but I, you know, and the other thing is that I would I would just be afraid that if they if they shut me down in the opening. They they would just keep shutting me down, you know? uh, like oh I knew this guy's here, this guy's here with an agenda to fuck me over and all that stuff. So I respect that. I respect that Closeman asks the things he needs to ask right away because you know a lot of times you'll you know a lot you know a lot of times the temptation is like well we're having such a nice time maybe I shouldn't ask him the me yeah. the thing that's going to piss him off <laughs> right the thing that's potentially going to make him uncomfortable. Then it's like, all right, fine. Ask it. When you're doing stuff like that or, or anything where you're meeting someone, does your reputation ever precede you? Because, uh, you know, a lot of what you write is very incendiary and, you know, very sort of uh, contentious. And, you know, do people not expect you to be as nice and polite? Because I've heard you describe it before where you say, if you meet me in person, I will fall all over myself to be, you know, polite and apologetic and self-effacing. And uh, do people ever go in with, with the wrong perception like that? No, I mean, no, that doesn't happen. Usually, um, because I'm not, uh, you know, like, like maybe I'm, maybe I'm sort of well known in like sports blogging circles, but you know, you ask the general Amer- American, like who I am, they don't know who the fuck I am. Like I walk out on the street, nobody, nobody recognizes me on the street. You never get recognized? No, may, like once, once in a bloom, like maybe a couple times a year. Nothing, not, not, not anywhere. It ain't like, it's not like, you know, when, you know, Mariah Carey walks to the restaurant and everyone's head's turned. Like, that doesn't happen. No one's <laughs> no one's turning their head. Well, that seems like the so, ideal level of fame. Yes, it is. It is. The ideal. So, I, you know, most of the time, these people don't really know who the fuck I am, which is great. But there have been times like, okay, so um, this fall I was going to fight Sean Hannity. Like, like cause Sean Hannity uh, is, like, trained in street fighting. Like, like said on Twitter, he was trained in street fighting. So GQ said, okay, teach Drew how to fight. So I said, okay, we we were all we were gonna get all set up. Like I was gonna go to his house, and I was gonna fight him and all that stuff. But his publicist, who you know was actually doing their job, you know, googled me and googled his name and saw <laughs> that I called him a racist asshole somewhere because it's John Hannity, right? You're gonna right. write that about John Hannity. And then they said no, so then they backed out. So it was the only time to my recollection where you know where where my my own sort of work had had compromised me. In terms of in terms of access, and then of course there's you know, like you know we we never get credentialed for like NFL stuff. Oh sure, know, no sure. of course not. But but no, in, in general, no people people are pretty nice, and I haven't had a great deal of of issues with um uh you know meeting people and stuff like that. But I'm sure there are plenty of people willing to you know punch me in the face the second they see me. Well, I mean, I was thinking about it and. Uh, in particular, like when you were on Chopped, I think one of the one of the simultaneously meanest and funniest things I ever read was where someone said you looked like the bitter beer face guy got stretched out in a taffy puller. <laughs> that sounds right. And I'm um, I'm so happy you laughed at that because oh yeah. I mean, I, does that ever sting though? Because I'm not a good shit talker. Like I, if I say something mean, I probably mean it. And so like I'm not playful like that. Um, does that ever bother you? <laughs> No, 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 no. I, and, you know, and listen, it's it's hard to say that you know because the 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 whole internet joke is, hey, I'm not mad. It's actually funny to me. But no, I I the the chop night when everyone was making fun of my shirt, I thought was was funny. I mean, yeah, and and no, it, it only bothers me if there's someone who is like, I'm coming to kill you, or like, here's your little literal address. I'm going to come murder you. 
Does that happen? That, uh, it is. Yeah. It's not, it, you know, there have been moments. Yeah, sure. Oh, After Duck Dynasty. Oh, um, oh Jesus. Was, yeah. The thing you wrote about Phil Robertson. Yeah, it was, that was pretty bad. So there have been moments like that. But if people are just clowning on, like, you know, my shirt or something like that, I don't, I don't care. That's yeah, fine. Even if and they're the talking about your face, though? That's fine. That's fine. Because, like, frankly, like, and not to be arrogant, but, like, you know, I look in the mirror and I look okay. You know, I'm fine <laughs> with it. Looks fine, you know? If someone wants to make an ugly joke about me, it's really, it's fine. You know, I, you know, and the other thing is that I can't make fun of other people if I am not willing to to hear and to absorb jokes about me. Yeah. Right. I'd be, a, I'd, I would just be a, I'd be a shitty sort of online, you know, insult comic. <laughs> if I, if I couldn't take what I dish out by obligation, I, I, I have to read all of that and absorb it. And most of the time to me, it's just funny shit giving and I really, it, it's fine. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you this. This is a phrase that, that you've used a lot that has been adopted by both my wife and I when we're <laughs> describing any number of things. But I'll say that's tough but fair. Yeah, it's tough but fair. <laughs> or I say fair I say fair enough a lot and my wife catches me and she's like, stop. Please don't do that. Yeah. I was like, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, one, th- one thing my wife and I say too is, uh, yeah, but still. And we, oh, ha- yeah, we have a rule. We'll go uh, – like she'll say, "Yeah, but still," and I go, "Okay, you can't use that again for a whole month." Yeah, so, <laughs> you got fi- you have to follow it with something. Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. Um, all right, let's uh, let's talk about novels because sure. uh, I've, I haven't read Men with Balls, but uh, that's all right. Okay. <laughs> it may it may have dated itself. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it is now it is now a highly problematic book. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, there it is. Fair enough. Perfect. But uh, I read the postmortal. I read someone could get hurt, and I read the hike. And I'm I'm curious because going from something like Men with Balls and going from being Deadspin GQ to you know this sci-fi dystopian novel like the postmortal, how does an opportunity like that come up? I mean, that was all a gamble because the the deal was with Men with Balls essentially failed, right? Like it just it, it got a nice advance for it. It was the first book I ever wrote, so I'm still proud of that. I still like the books. I think it's funny. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people didn't buy it. So it didn't earn out its advance. And so I wasn't going to be able to write another sports book unless it was just for another meager advance. And, you know, I had just been – it was 2009. I had just been laid off from my ad job. So I was – you know, so I was sort of in this weird transition between where blogging for the on the side was about to become blogging my full job. Um, but you know, it was still sort of uh, an issue and I had this free time and, you know, I just had this idea to write it, but I was told like you, if you're writing a novel, you have to write the whole thing. If you're a first timer and then you present it. So, you know, it was like three months where I just personally cobbled it together and then sent it out. And, you know, the, the only, the only reason it ever got published was because after 18 editors passed on it, there was one dude who was a Deadspin fan (laughs) at at a house who, who agreed to buy it for like the minimum possible like advance, just out of pity and went straight to paperback and all stuff. And then it did well. It was the, it was the, it was the book of mine that uh, that earned out its advance and like it's taught in schools and stuff like that. So it was is a very very slow burn. But you know the only reason that it, the only reason that transition happened was essentially because you know the first book didn't didn't hit the way I quite wanted to, and I knew that I would have to to 
switch things up. Yeah. And so I move past, you know, the Deadspin KSK audience if I wanted to to sell a book because, you know, honestly, like, you know, if I wrote a book of, you know, fun bag questions or Deadspin posts or something like that, you know, you can get that pretty much online already. Even For if free. The book is new. So, you know, a lot, a lot of libraries aren't willing to make that leap. And I'm one of them, you know, like I don't buy every book from every online author I like. Yeah, no, sure. And the postmortal was great. I, I devoured that. I, I read that and I, I read the hike even faster. And, uh, we, we had a new baby at the time. And I remember anytime I just had a few minutes, I just, I could not put it down. It was a real page turner. Terrific book, man. So first of all, uh, thank you, sir. That, that seems to have, uh, earned a lot of kudos too, as well. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did well. I mean, I was very, yeah, I've been very lucky. The two, the two novels have been pretty well received. I mean, you'll get one star reviews on Goodreads and stuff. That's sure. Fine. And um, you know, I think, I think the hardest thing, uh, really is just getting reviewed at all. Like, you know, I, you know, like, like none of my books, I've never gotten reviewed in the Times. I've never gotten reviewed by the Post. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, none of the. I don't think any. I don't think any of the. I don't, I, you know, like, like the trade pubs will review them, you know, but like, I don't think I've ever been in like, a weekly or anything like that. And so I think the, I, you know, I think the biggest thing for any author now is just getting in those spaces, even if the review is bad, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, exposure. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like, it wasn't like Twilight got great reviews, you know, but, you know, it, but it got coverage and that is almost, you know, as valuable as people liking it. Sure. I think in terms of the hike and you retweet a lot of people um, <laughs> who who have read the hike and said nice things about it. Um, oh, that's awful. And that's, I'm sorry. I have to do that. Well, you know what? You never retweeted mine. So fuck that. Wow. But, uh, I'll sure. survive. We're doing this, which is amazing and 10 times better. But um, I mean, people talk about sticking the landing on the ending, which I, I don't want to talk too much about that because I hate when you go into a book and you're like, the ending's amazing. It's like, well, fuck off. Like, I really kind of want to just enjoy the journey to get there. Um, well, you just spend the whole book guess, trying to guess it. You know? Yeah, that's true. But uh, one of the scenes that was most affecting for me is, you know, it's it's our protagonist and it's the crab and he walks by his house and his kid's in pajamas. And as a father, I read that and I go, holy shit. Like, and I, I had to stop at that point because when you have kids, it turns you into just this unforgivable sap. Yeah. Sucks. It's, it's awful. I can't, I was, I was watching the today show today and like, we're recording this shortly before father's day and they were doing this round table about their kids. And I'm like, why am I tearing up listening to Matt Lauer and Al Roker talk about parenting? What the hell's wrong with me? Yeah, any uh, movie trailer music gets me terrible. <laughs> but that brings me to another point. When I read Someone Could Get Hurt, my wife was pregnant at the time, and so I described the first chapter to her, and she goes, yeah, I'm not reading that. She, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. She's like, I, I can't. And we may be at a point now, because I have two beautiful, healthy, funny girls. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, and they're they're both in great shape, But we didn't, and we didn't have any problems. We were fortunate enough to that, but, you know, we've... We've talked to enough people about parenting where people are just dealing with unimaginable things. And so the fact that you put that in print, it, number one, it was very harrowing to read. And number two, your ability to sort of, I, I don't know, I can't remember where I heard this, but it's almost like you have the gift of confession. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I was just, it was one of those things where, you know, it is sort of cathartic to put it down, you know, you know, it was almost like it was, it was good to have a, a document of what we went through just because I think my wife and I sort of wanted to forget it, you know, oh, like sure. now, like now, you know, like my son's all healthy and fine and annoying. <laughs> and, How old is he now? And, uh, he's five. Nice. All right. And, you know, we don't, you know, we don't really think too much about it except on his birthday and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and in some ways that's bad because obviously I want to have perspective and always appreciate the fact that he's with us, but that's, it's also a gift to be able to forget. Oh you know, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's nice to, you know, be so far away from that, that it feels like a distant memory and it feels like you can sort of live a normal life. And, you know, I try not to, you know, I try to keep a nice balance between the two, but I remember when it was happening, it was just, you know, just one of those things where it's just so intense and all that. It's sometimes, sometimes you need to have that sort of outlet to plug into to, to get your thoughts down so that it, I don't know. I don't know why it, I don't know why it, helps me as a human being but it just seems to help me cope with situations if i can sort of compress it and you know sort of observe it yeah a a small distance you know well drew i i mean i'll tell you it's funny that type of thing is a gift to others too because my wife and i for our first daughter went through like two years of infertility and it's that will that's very tough to go through it's tough on your marriage it's tough on you personally it's tough on you financially but I started writing about it and it just almost like out of not knowing what else to do. I'm like, I, I'm going to just capture these thoughts and I put it out on my blog and people came out of the woodwork to tell me like, Hey, yeah, I've been going through the same thing and this was tough. And, th- and they're like, your writing really helped me. And you almost like open up avenues for people to, uh, live better lives. You know, they, they, it gives them some equipment to deal with the things that they're dealing with because it feels very isolating. It's like what you write about pain. You said, you know, pain is your body's way of telling your brain that something is wrong. And to that extent, pain is a thought. And right. only by getting it out there do people go, holy crap, I'm not alone. And that is incredibly rewarding when you get that type of feedback because you go, yeah, this was fucking horrible to write about. Yeah, I mean, that's the nice, I mean, it's the reason why you write, you write to connect, right? You know, I, at least that's why I do it. You know, it's not, you know, the whole reward is, you know, if someone says, oh yeah, did, you know, the, the, I always like, I always think the best thing is when people write, they're like, get out of my head. I always think that's <laughs> the nicest thing they say, you know, cause it's cool. Cause you're essentially your brain, to, it's your brain talking to someone else's brain. Yeah. No kidding. And when, you know, when there's a sort of spark in a connection, then yeah, you feel less alone. You feel like, you feel like someone has your back and you, you know, it's just, it's just, it's really nice to, you know, it, you know, I feel bad for anyone else who's had to go through rough stuff with uh, childbirth and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to know that, you know, people are sort of also out there searching and not wanting to be alone and, and sort of taking comfort in one another. And that to me is sort of the, I don't know, the nice reinforcing part of humanity, you know, yeah. even though that's been severely tested over the past two years. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd be inclined to agree. We're, we're in a rough spot. I feel like, uh, I, I wrote this almost like an FJM style fisking of this guy. It was on LinkedIn of all places, which, you know, that's where I go for great content. I don't know about you. Right. Sure. But, uh, this guy wrote, and this was the clickbaitiest title ever. He goes, is empathy overrated? And my, my first response was, Oh my God, fuck off guy. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Is empathy overrated? So I took it apart point by point and it's like, 
we're, we're at a point now where empathy seems to be in shorter and shorter supply. So things like writing about infertility, writing about, uh, you know, the, the troubles with the birth of a child, um, back surgery, you know, that's where you build bridges and, you know, where we all have greater humanity. I don't know, not to get touchy feely here, but. No, it's all right. I didn't get touchy feely. <laughs> uh, no, it's always great. It's always, you know, there's always a reward in, uh, you know, in putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable. And instead of, instead of people jumping on you for responding in kind, you know, and I think yeah. that's always the risk when you write, but you know, I, it's worth the payoff to, in my mind, to expose myself. Cause you know, if people want to piss off or whatever, that's fine. That's sort of just the nature of the internet now. And yeah, it's almost sure. like, it's almost like you can discount that from regular humanity at times. You can't discount it from uh, you know, the current political environment, but you know, I walk outside and the world is essentially the same as it has been, you know, like yeah. people are still relatively nice to one another and stuff like that. It's only in the sort of digital void where everything, you know, devolves into a glob of shit. <laughs> but hey, you know, that's where I fly my trade. So I'm just as much to blame as anybody else. Hey, that's uh, and that's what pays the rent, right? Yep. Um, we are in why your team sucks season, which seems like a Sisyphean task to write. Um, yeah, it's pain in the ass. But uh, you've—I uh, think you've mentioned this before. But uh, just for posterity, which which fans take the heat the worst? It really depends year by year. Uh, last year there was—it was very—it was, uh, was very muted. Oh, and I think it was just because I just think the series has been around for so long now that even when it gets onto like dipshit message boards and stuff, it's like, they, you know, everyone now has been explained to, yes, they do this with every year. They do it with every team. Right. You know, they're, they're not they targeting you. Team. They're not, you know, so, you know, I, I think that enough people sort of figured that out now that it's, it's hard to find a, you know, a brother. Last year, I think Chargers fans were the most sensitive, but again, you know, it was like, it was not compared to years past. It was not, I would say I would not say it was on the level of years past. I would say in general the the worst are probably Steelers fans. Um, and, <laughs> that feels uh, right. Boston fans are still bad, but in a very specific and annoying way, you know. And then any any franchise where you goof on their irrelevancy, like Jacksonville, they get very very defensive about that. I was All hoping six of them. <laughs> I was hoping because we're in uh, Denver here uh, that you were going to say Raiders fans, but. Uh... Oh, yeah. Well, when we started, Raiders fans were always the ones who made the most pointed violent threats. Always, always. Ah, very nice. And Broncos fans weren't bad, you know? Like, I know there are bad Broncos fans, but but I I had rarely... They're usually too stoned to be upset. <laughs> well, you're painting with an awfully broad brush there, but... Uh, yeah. No, probably. I mean, you're not wrong. Like, this this city's pretty mellow. <laughs> like, you know, take it in stride. Uh, do, you, uh, do you have a sense? Have you started writing? Why do the Broncos suck this year? Uh, cause they still have, uh, it's still Simeon and Lynch, right? Yeah. And they're probably gonna start Simeon cause Lynch will just, it's just a project who will never turn into anything. And mm. then they're actually going to have to go get another quarterback. So, which they should, they should have brought Cutler back. <laughs> Don't care. I always, I always thought that was a bad trade. I always wish they had kept him around. Uh, you know what? Those of us in Denver were not sad to see old sour face Jay go. Yeah, I know. I know. But, uh, you know, I, I, you got you got Peyton Manning, uh, you know, in the long term out of it. So I got it. Well, and I mean, a couple of seasons of Tebow. I mean, you don't want more than a couple of seasons of Tebow. And the fact that Elway was able to ship him out of town, despite being the most popular player, that was pretty remarkable. 
Yeah, Elway's a gangster, man. He's a sociopath. <laughs> he doesn't care. Yeah, no, he really doesn't. But uh, let's uh, let's talk about Denver. Uh, I mean, the ostensible reason for this, so we may as well get to it, is the hike uh, has a book tour. It's uh, it's going. You're hitting a number of different cities that you haven't hit before. Among them yeah. is Denver, and that's coming up yeah. July 11th. Yes, very excited. And I'm I'm in. I think I'm in Denver proper, so that's cool. Because like sometimes you get, uh, you know, places that are sort of like. You know, like, or ten miles outside, or five miles outside. It's fun to be in the city and get the feel of the city. Yeah, yeah no, you're. Uh, it's going to be at the Tattered Cover, which is on Colfax. And Colfax, here's a bit of trivia for you. You may not know, Colfax is the longest continuous street in America. Ooh, yeah, I, I like that. I like that bit of information. How far? How long does it go? Uh, it's uh, technically speaking, fucking long as shit. Um, I don't. The the other answer is I don't know. Like, does it go to another state? Does it go to, like, Idaho? Or... <laughs> um, no, it runs east-west, so it would be, you know, if it went anywhere, it would be Kansas. But, uh, mm, no, I mean, we're talking, they, they did a Colfax marathon that was entirely on Colfax. It was 26 miles, so it's at, le- oh, wow. it's at least that long. I want to say, I'll look it up. I'll put it in the companion blog piece for when this runs. But uh, what's your overall uh, impression of Denver? Uh I, is this the city you've been to regularly? Do you enjoy your time? No, here? no, I, I don't think I'm not sure I've ever been to the city proper. Like, I think I went to Vail once when I was a kid, hmm. but that doesn't count because I think we went from the airport. So I don't think I've ever, I only have ever been in Denver proper wow. or at least not. And, and I've passed through DIA, but that doesn't count either. So no, I'm, I'm excited. Cause it's gonna be my, my first real trip. And plus the other time, last time I was in Colorado was a year ago at Telluride. And I, I finally bought legal weed for the first time, which was great. And I can't wait to do it again. It was gr- It was, it was a wonderful consumer experience. It's uh it's remarkable how that experience unfolds because it's there, there's almost something that's unnerving about how pedestrian it is. Oh yeah. It's almost too easy. You know? Yeah. You're, you're going, uh, Oh, I can just, Oh, I can just buy this. Oh, and no one's waiting for me. Like, there's not a bunch of G-men outside, you know, like it's fucking yeah. Boardwalk Empire or something. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like you're, you know, it's like when you get out of prison and it's like, like, you don't know how to exist in the real world. You're so regimented <laughs> from prison. Like, like, the, oh, you mean I'm free to do this? Are you sure about this? Yeah. Yeah. It's like Red uh, in Shawshank Redemption. It's like, restroom yeah. break, boss. Yeah. And he's like, it's look, perhaps- you don't need to ask me every time you have to take a piss. Just go. Okay. Yeah. It's perhaps, um, you know, a slightly a slightly less life or death version of that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Perhaps, yeah. But um, yes, I am con- I am conditioned, and I, you know, 40 years of being conditioned that it's all illegal and someone's going to come kick my ass. <clears throat> it's hard to shake off when you walk in. Yeah, uh, I'm but sure I'm it is. I'm glad for it. It was wonderful. But uh, so it's coming up July 11th. It's at the Tattered Cover. I'll have all the info. Uh, this airs July 5th. The hike is fantastic. Um, what's, Thank you, sir. Yeah, I I cannot recommend it highly enough. And all of my jerk friends, they're asking me, they're like, what's your summer reading? I'm like, the hike. And then it's like crickets. I'm like, well, motherfucker, you asked me for a recommendation. Can you take it? Can I what? No, no. Like, uh, oh, to my oh, friends, oh. it's like, if, if you're going to ask me for a recommendation, can you fucking take it for once? <laughs> well, because it, I'm like, the guys are probably like me. Like, they want nonfiction, right? Like, yeah. it's... And it's there, the numbers bear it out and men read more nonfiction and women read more fiction. So when you recommend fiction to a guy, you know, uh, you know, you're, unless it's, unless it's, you know, hard boiled or something like that. Yeah. Like Elmore Leonard or something. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an uphill climb, you know, but, uh, but 
you know, and I don't want to get all pimpy or anything like that, but, you know, I only like novels that fly by. And so that's why I wrote one that, you know, was designed to do that. Yeah. Well, I, I think you succeeded admirably. What are you working on now? Do you have any books coming up in the hopper? Are, are you in the beginning stages of anything? Yeah, it's in the beginning stages. And I don't, I don't think I'll be, I doubt I'll have a draft of anything until 2018. If then, um, because, you know, I don't know when we're recording this, but like, then there's like the, the TV show is still out there being pitched. So if that happened, then I, you know, then I would have to, you know, then I would have to put future novels on the table to develop that series based off, off of the hike and, and do that. So I don't, you know, there's a lot of things up in the air right now and I'm not quite sure. I mean, either way, there'll be something, you know, I'll work on something new that people can enjoy for five seconds before yelling at me to do something else. So. <laughs> um, I did not realize the hike was uh, potentially going to be TV. That's badass. Well, you know, it's like anything. It's always a huge long shot, but the, you know, the pilot and the Bible are out and the, the script, the scripts are out and, you know, so hopefully someone buys it, but you never know. Yeah, no, you, you truly never know. Well, I'll tell you what, Drew, this is the part in the show where, uh, I mean, Pimpage is welcome. Uh, plug anything you want. Uh, the floor is yours. No, that's it. That's it. I, I, I all the uncomfortable again. Just show up uh, to the uh, bookstore and we'll, we'll have some fun. Yeah, Tattered Cover, July 11th. Uh, it's going to be uh, a fantastic event. It happens to be the one-year birthday of my daughter. So, uh, oh, happy birthday. <laughs> um, so schedule-wise, I don't know uh, how that's going to line up for me, but I, I think I'm going to make it work. Uh, if you need recommendations while in Denver, uh, I'm happy to pitch them to you because uh, we got a lot of great stuff here, and it seems like you're only here for a day, right? Yeah, that's it. I think I go. Yeah. And then you're off to what, Austin? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Breakfast tacos. Uh, make sure you hit those up while in Austin. Those oh are... yeah. I love all, I have been to Austin a lot, so I'm, I'm very excited. Nice. All right, Drew. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, this was an enormous thrill for me. I've been a, a big fan of yours for a long time, so I appreciate the time. Uh, I know you got a lot going on. You got three kids and, um, this was a real privilege. So I appreciate it, Drew. No, sure. Anytime. Thanks, man. All right. Continued success to you, Drew. All right. See you, man. And that wraps up episode 139 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thanks to Drew McGarry. What a thrill. It was a great, great pleasure to get to talk to you and sit with you for 45 minutes. I'm a huge fan. Keep up the great work. And you know what? Go check out Drew at his book tour when he comes to Denver. It is Tuesday, July 11th at the Tattered Cover, 2526 East Colfax Avenue, Denver, Colorado, 80206, 7 p.m. So get there. It's on the John of All Trades website, J-O-N of All Trades.us. You can also hit up John of All Trades on the social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Pinterest, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T Pod. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Deft is on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Got a lot of work that we're proud of. Got a blog going at Deft. It's more business focused than this show, but this show is certainly proud to be a part of Deft Communications. I'm off next week. We're going to let this episode marinate for a little bit. So I hope you enjoyed it. I know I certainly did. I hope you've had a happy, prosperous, and meaningful 4th of July. I hope it's a short work week for you. And I hope to see you back here in two weeks. Got a brand new guest. It's already in the works. And uh, it's a good one. It's something that I haven't done before. And it's a voice that I think you'll want to hear. So new episode previews go up on Monday. Look for that on Facebook only. New episodes drop on Wednesday. So, in two weeks, we'll see you back here. And until then, say goodnight, Gracie.
That's good, Johnny.